Igawau acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I am Little Silky. <laughs> and welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. It's about the time for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law. And any uh, arguments you find yourself in a film school shouldn't. These reviews are non negotiable, non refundable, and non descript. So, let's talk about Greenberg! <laughs> Disclaimer, this has nothing to do with (laughs) the the movie. (laughs) Here we go. Released in the US on the 19th of March, 2010, Greenberg, also known by its alternative release title, Francis Hart 2, The Origin Story, is a story of Roger Greenberg, a neurotic everyman who house-sits for his affluent brother's family and Florence Ma, the Greenberg family's personal assistant who helps Roger during his stay. The film was written by Noah Baumbach and Jennifer Jason Leigh, is directed by Baumbach and stars Ben Stiller, Greta Gerwig, and Brie Larson. Most importantly, the film's music was composed by James Murphy and features tracks written and performed by him and fellow LCD Sound System member Al Doyle. The film was made on a $25 million budget and flip-flopped its way to a $6.3 million return, according to Box Office Mojo. Clocking in with a runtime of 107 minutes, the film may just leave you wondering, is Ben Stiller a dick? Right. I want to unpack with that introduction. Not really. Um. Anyway, how are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Feeling inspired. Like You're inspired by what? No, just feeling good after eating some pasta, having some roast veggies, and yum. Yes, I'm just inspired to have a good pod. Yeah, and I think it will be a good pod. Yes, this is the attitude I'm going into it with. Cool. Yeah. Um. I think we should do context. I guess. I want to start with a new segment, actually. This is called, Why Should You Watch This Movie? So, give me the song. Why? Why Why should you watch this film? Why? I'll tell you why. Smart, that's why. Funny, that's why. Intelligent, that's why. Sexy. Now that that song's over. And it was a great song, I might add. Um, Bastard. <laughs> um, I want to start with a segment where we tell you why you would or should watch this movie. Because I know that our listeners probably haven't seen Greenberg. And I have a question. We want to start a culture of... Um, Greenberg fans. Well, just a culture of like why you should watch the movie that we're podcasting on. Okay, I get this concept. But also, what if you don't like the movie, though? What, what's, what do you do then? Well, then you can say insult people with, you should watch this movie if you're a big idiot okay. and you have dumb opinions. All right. Okay, so I'm assuming you've written up. Just a few dot points. So, first of all, obvious one. If you like Ben Stiller, you should watch <laughs> this movie because it's Ben Stiller at his most vulnerable, immersive, and something according to all of the promotional material I could find on this film. He really gave his all to this film. Yeah, he, he decided not to mail it in, as he apparently normally does, and Greta Gerwig was heard in interviews saying that he truly gave his all to this role. And I think it's hilarious doing the character piece film and going, he really gave his all to this character piece film. Because, <laughs> you know, 
Obviously, Hollywood superstars can not give their all to a film. But you wouldn't be doing this, this film. Yeah, you wouldn't be doing this film unless this you felt like film. trying. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so watch this film if you like Ben Stiller. Um, if you like Francis Ha, that is probably the one I should have led with because I've seen Francis Ha and I don't think Nick has. I have seen it. What do you mean? Okay, Nick's seen Francis Ha too. Um, this is Francis Ha too, isn't it? Yes. Francis Ha too. Francis this Hart. is the sequel to Francis Ha. Yes. Right? Yes. Correct. That was my opening gag. Um, yeah, it is very much like uh, Greta pretty much plays Francis Ha, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Does Greta just play Greta in every movie she's in? Because it's very similar to the character she plays in 20th Century Woman, Women as well, is it not? Or quite similar? Uh, she's a bit more empowered in 20th Century. She's a bit more confident in herself. But She also she, kisses an older dude. And she's, you know, vulnerable. Um, but yes, this is very much Frances Ha, surely. Okay. Um, what about Isle of Dogs? <laughs> She's not like that in Isle of Dogs. <laughs> I didn't know who she was, but I thought... She, you know now, right? The class president? She's the, yeah. Yeah. Um, watch this film. If you like LCD Sound System, uh, you owe it to James, right? If you like Dave Franco's surprise appearances, is the fourth and final reason to watch Probably this. the best reason. Yeah. Um, Brie Larson's a surprise appearance as well, surely. I'd say she's not because she's credited. Like at the start, you knew she was coming. Yeah, but they this knew is... we were coming. <laughs> is this not before? This would be before Jump Street, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, but she was obviously famous enough to get cited. You know, I found it fascinating. Okay. And, but she probably has less significant of a performance than Dave Franco. <laughs> I mean, Dave Franco plays Dave Franco. <laughs> like, hey, Ben Stiller, man. Why we watch this movie, I think, is kind of related to why you should watch this movie. Because I guess it's saying, like, what made us want to watch this movie. And it's a weird movie to pick, you know? Mm-hmm. I think a big one is probably the James Murphy soundtrack. Wanted well, that's to where you that find reason. this movie. You go, James Murphy. Well, for us. Did the soundtrack to a film. What film is that? Greenberg. Ben Stiller. Noah Baumbach. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Dave, Dave, Dave Franco. Franco. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Um, so that's how you find it, and then you go, huh, box office flop, $25 million budget, $6 million return. But what did they spend? The budget, surely that's majority of that $25 mil was on the cast or something. Like, Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Like you say, you watch Francis Hard, which is like shoestring budget. Yeah, made and it's on not a like, DSLR. It's like, I mean, I guess you're paying for crew and cameras and stuff like that is the difference between the two. It's just interesting watching the promotional stuff for this film as well, because I think they thought that they had a hit on their hands. I think that's the only vibe you can get from this. I think they thought it was an uh, Oscar bait thing, mm. you know. And I thought um, Ben Siller would get, you know, rep for the performance. I yeah, guess. and Baumbach is up and coming at the time, I believe, because no of, way. Oh, well, um, depends on the you squid need. and the yeah, which is five years before this. But he also has a movie called Kicking and Screaming from the '90s, which I think is ah, oh, did he do that? Yeah, yeah. that's a cult classic. Which right. is what they talk about. They talk about it. It's a big '90s teen, well, college, post-college film, okay, or whatever. Yeah, so. Hmm? Maybe create a disagree. Yeah, let's talk about Ben Stiller. So, what's your Ben Stiller context? I mean, I feel like we liked Ben Stiller movies when we were younger. They were like family classics. Well, Ben Stiller was the work. hot property in early two thousands. It felt like he was Zoolander. He was Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak Kid wasn't in that pantheon though. Sure. Yeah, but he was. It's not that far off though. You know, like it's only like time wise. Yeah, yeah, four or five years or something. Yeah, he was a big deal. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's funny. I remember dad watching this when it around when it came out on a plane. Oh. And he compared it to... In his analysis of it, he was talking about how 
American movies and comedies are all about this kind of like kind of loser guy, you know what I mean? Mm. And he was comparing it, I think, to like Seth Rogen films, okay. which is, to be honest, not a great comparison. I don't think that there's like, I get it. It's like a deadbeat dude, but it's like completely different things you're trying to do there. Yeah. I would say. The other thing I wanted to express early on in this pod is that I liked this film and it, I liked it a lot more than I was expecting to. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think Ben Stiller is really good in this film. I think his character is quite complex and quite interesting. Um, essentially, the pitch for this film is, what if you make that sort of movie about a dead-end dude, but he's actually like a jerk? And I actually thought its portrayal of mental um, health issues was quite profound and quite uh, ahead of its time, I suppose, was what kept coming to mind for me. Um, He's continually a jerk. He continually lets down the audience and Florence and like to the facts that, that he's sort of abusive of Florence, like hurting her feelings, stringing her along, criticizing her thoughts and feelings. And it, he does, definitely doesn't have the right to, to do it. And the film is essentially like daring you to not like Greenberg. But I think it is done in a, uh, a semi-sympathetic way, like ultimately because the film comes from his perspective. It's about, oh, this dude is kind of dealing with a lot to be this much of a jerk. Like, you can tell he's, he's projecting his insecurities into being a dick. That's where it's coming from. Mm. And I think the argument scene at the end, which we just watched between him and his best friend, Ivan, is quite a really good scene, actually. I like, because the whole film, they allude to this thing where he was in a band with Ivan, his friend. And then Ben Stiller was the reason they didn't take the recording contract. And then the band fell apart. Now Ben Stiller's like achieved, Rogers achieved like nothing in his life. But then he never addresses it head on, which is that, of course, it's very embarrassing that you caused the collapse of your band and you never took that opportunity and stuff. And then right at the end when he goes, of course, I regret it and I would do it differently. I thought that was a really insightful moment. And that's the most sympathetic they are to Greenberg in the whole film. And it's kind of powerful, you know? I think the whole, that's the movie's, well, actually, the whole pitch behind the movie is the hurt people hurt people. But that is where it boils to a head and you go, well, he's messed up because he's feeling a lot of remorse. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a good analysis. I guess that's obviously what he was going for. I think I can't watch this without kind of viewing it in the pan. Like I say Pantheon, but it's not like I'm a huge Bumback. Like I've seen that many Bumback films. But I have seen... This is my fourth Bumback film I've seen. How many have you seen? I don't know. What, have, what have you seen? I, I've, so I've seen this marriage story, Francis Ha and the Meyerowitz, Meyerowitz stories. Yeah. And those other three I thought were really good. So... You thought Meyerowitz was really good? I think it wasn't... It wasn't like a four, but it was like upper tier, three and a half in my opinion. I think that... Because, I mean, I think if you're getting a Bombac film, at least one... I mean, because I, actually, I have seen half an hour of Kicking and Screaming, but I can't really comment on it because I've only seen half an hour of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that every film, he's going to be trying to say something about somebody about life, basically. It's like, mm. you know, Francis Hara's statement about a young woman's life at a certain point. This is a statement about Ben Stiller's life at one point. Meyerowitz is about Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller dealing with their father's illness or whatever. Or, you and know... arrogance. Ar- you know. Yeah. Um, and it's all then, about tenon bombs, actually. Yeah. And then Marriage Story is obviously about marriage breakdown. Have, you haven't seen Marriage Story? No, I haven't. Interesting. So, like, Marriage... Um, I'm probably on the bandwagon, but Mar- Marriage Story is, like, the best of them, in my opinion. Okay. 
Yeah, I thought Meyerowitz was really good and I thought Francis Ha was really good. Same thing where it's like, they're not like necessarily up there with me in my favorite films, but I think they're really solid and I, I, it made me want to watch more of his films to get that same feeling, if that makes sense. I think he's doing a challenging thing in these films and I'm obviously the disclaimer is that I haven't seen heaps of it, but having seen the three, being Francis, Meyerowitz and this, and I feel like there's another one, but maybe I'm just lying. I think he's always running this line because he's writing these sort of neurotic characters and I think they're inherently unlikable so by doing the whole like his whole shtick is sort of having people be annoying and like anal and very like jerkish cutting each other off and stuff so I think inherently these characters are unlikable and then they're also sort of indulgent films because they're exploring these type of characters Mm -hmm. because the protagonists aren't really active and really uh, like the audience is supposed to turn on the characters at different times in the film. So I think that these films can feel indulgent and sort of like representative of an archetype or a character who you're like, oh, why are we seeing this person on a film? They don't deserve to have my attention there. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly that, the thing. And I think definitely out of all of them, this is the one with the character that I didn't, I, you know, least related to or obviously least sympathized with, which I guess is the point. And I guess... I wasn't, you know, you really viewed this with a whole like mental health angle about it. And maybe that's my flaw as a viewer for not actually seeing it all through that lens as much Mm -hmm. that I'm supposed to be understanding things through that lens because, but, and maybe what is, you know, what you're commenting on about it being ahead of its time is the fact that it doesn't shove that stuff down your throat either. Like it's given to you as a little bit of context. And then I guess if you're an an aware viewer, then you hear that and then you go, oh, maybe that relates to somebody I know or something like that. And you can see that behavior and go like, yeah, that's what that person acts like, Mm. maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what I missed on it. Yeah, it's almost like the whole script is a thought exercise in what if you make one of these types of movies, but the lead guy just sucks and is inherently bad. So my issue with that is Greta Gerwig's character then, because the film interestingly opens up with a segment of with Greta Gerwig's character. Yes. What do you think? What do you make of that? I think it's so it's doing a few things. It's it's contextualizing the family's status, right? So I think it's setting up how successful the other people are. And I think maybe what the film does, which is sort of interesting, is it's sort of a two-hander, like it's sort of her film as well as his, but then ultimately all the marketing and the ultimate film's angle comes back to him. But maybe that's that's the limits of Hollywood to sort of go, oh, it has to be someone's film sort well, of. Well, this is interesting. Do you think that, I like, I mean, I, we can only reflect on what Greta Gerwig was like at this point. Obviously, 10 years later, we can talk about how amazing she is and like, you know, how much of a or two or whatever she is in her own right. And it makes you think about maybe something, maybe the script did lean in a certain way because of that, you know, and they felt like they c- could, put the movie in her hands for stretches of this film instead yeah that wasn't in part of the original script because it doesn't really make sense in my mind to otherwise do that sort of thing it's sort of interesting because it feels like the the fact that it feels so greta is interesting because obviously she's not associated with the writing team in this one and it's not about her so it's like did they just is she just has such a presence that's so identifiable or do you think they were making the film and they, as you said, they leaned into that. They're like, well, oh, that's this the is thing. The, the Greta character. This is and, yeah, and, and it's not actually an insult to say that Greta Gerwig maybe plays similar characters or whatever. In the same way, you know, anyone who is making films about, like, someone would make a bunch of films about themselves 
anyway would play the same character. Yeah, what's a, what's an example? I was going to say like, Woody Allen, but it's not like I've seen tons of Woody Allen. Well, films I guess anyway. you could say Seth Rogen sort of plays himself, and Seth Rogen's well liked. Sure, yeah. Because um, I only thought of like you know like Jason Statham, <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't mean to rip into Greta yeah, Gerwig, yeah, yeah. but people, yeah. But it's more like the idea like of you know the classic maybe like comedian movie where or TV show where they just play themselves and they write stuff around them, mm-hmm. whatever. It maybe Greta's yeah. doing that in her films, you know, where she's. But you know, people entirely. That's completely warranted, but it's funny. Like she's doing that in this film, which isn't really her, her film. And then obviously they go on to make two more films together. I'm pretty sure, and because there's something there that she and she participates more actively in that process. Mm. So yeah, maybe it is a, a thing of her just like coming across. Or that's this presence she has that they latched onto or something like that. Mm. You know. Anyway, it's an interesting way to open the film mm. and a really good opening, in my opinion. I liked it quite a lot, and it's one of those has had you know like a nice character moment. And this is like me trying a big brain film watcher yeah. now, mm-hmm. you know, but there's like that smart writing where like she's trying to merge the first time and then they let her in and then she merges the second time and they don't let her in. Yeah. And it's like, you know, in that five minute opening scene montage and it tells you a lot about the character or whatever. Well, know? and her willingness to help out and put herself second. Yeah. So that makes me think that narratively in the alternative, if it wasn't tailored for her specifically, that narratively it's meant to explain why she's his love interest and why that's a thing. You know what I mean? Mm. It's got to make you understand. Because, you know, anytime you watch a film where it's like an old guy with a younger girl, it's like, okay, what's the deal? Why is this mm. happening? And maybe that needs to be there to even make it believable. Because particularly he's like a big asshole in this. More, he's not charming or anything like so that. So I, I, what's interesting is this film, like saying that stuff about her being the opening scene, this film, if you tried to write it from the other perspective... It just doesn't work, you know. If Greenberg is her interest, but it's written about her, the film like completely fails because you hate Greenberg and you're just like, why is? She but don't you feel that film? a little bit anyway? <laughs> I, I definitely saw myself on Greta's side more of this for most of this film and kind yeah. of just being like, you know, I, I don't know. This is the thing. Like we're talking about, she she's like. She's the person you want to hang out with in this film, in my opinion. And you kind of get stuck with Greenberg, in my opinion, you know. And I guess, you know, it's different points in time. Mm. Um, it's almost a flaw, in my opinion, having him against someone that is so likable. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just really... I kind of like... I just really liked it. Like, I thought... I'm not saying it's, like, a fantastic blow-away movie, but I think these insults are kind of... I think the whole thing of the film is him being shit. And I think it actually is an interesting movie... And I think it's actually, whether actively or not, it, it's kind of parodying this genre, you know? Mm-hmm. It's going like, these guys are probably dicks, you know? I can, I can see this character being linked to another film where the main guy who's a bit quiet and a bit bland falls in love with someone and then they fall in love back with him. I think it's almost riffing on the genre, the, the romantic comedy. What's interesting is that, yeah, I mean, that's a fair statement. Um, something has got to be said to for it being like an LA movie as well is something they seem to be talking about in those promos and stuff like mm. that. It felt LA as a someone who spent two months in LA. I could identify. Well, the thing is, this is a, a comedy, right? And I'm a person who you know thinks I love like Yorgos films, for example, because I think they're really funny. You know, that's like dark comedy. Mm. And then this one is obviously more of a drama or whatever than a comedy, but they're also definitely relying on parts of it being funny. And I'm not saying parts of it aren't funny, but I'm saying that I'd say it's a comedy. Rather than a drama. Okay, but so what's the comedy elements to you that are funny? Like Ben Stiller's 
comments. Like when you put them together and you put all my friends in, underneath it and edit it quickly, mm-hmm. Ben Stiller saying, you know, rude things about people. It's a comedy. But then like in the actual context of the film, in my opinion, it's not a comedy. It's like, yeah. wow, look at this guy. Like you can imagine you would know that guy. You know what I mean? Okay. What are funny scenes that come to mind? Their whole like sharing the beer is kind of funny or his like assertiveness is sort of funny there. Um, like him kind of playing at her weaknesses is, I guess, in- engaging. And like you get, I just think the dynamics in this film are quite unique. The way that she's into him and he's into her. And like the whole, like, I've been trying not to call her is kind of funny. It's like kind of funny in a tragic way. It's tragic comedy, you know. Him at the restaurant's kind of funny. Like him freaking out about the birthday cake is funny. Yeah. But it's like you can imagine Ben Stiller doing that in a different film that's like a full on comedy. Yeah. <laughs> you know like, I mean? yeah, I suppose so. I don't know. I'm just, the more I'm talking about it, I like it. I just found it funny and engaging and um, unique. Like, I guess it, I guess I'm really taking the angle that it was a mental health film more than it got marketed as. And I think it gets marketed as a, I think this film does a lot better today than it did at the time, critically. Very interesting. We act, I feel like this is, I know we talked about Children of Men being the one where we had different opinions, but we both obviously really liked it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like this is the one where I actually have quite different opinions about it. Yeah. And it's funny because I usually, if I watch a film by myself on the couch, it's probably the best chance I have at that film being a good film. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's not like, like, who did you watch this with? Mum and dad. And mum liked it. Inter- See, that's interesting. Like, yeah. I felt mum like... Mum and if, I were laughing at if it. If I was watching this with someone else, I feel like I would have been feeling... Sort of embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Which happens sometimes, you know. Yeah. But like, me on the couch for myself watching a film is like a vibe. It's like peak cinema. <laughs> Beyond being at the movies. Yeah. And it's like funny when he's like... Oh, what do people say about me? And then that's all funny. That's all good writing. I just can't. I just can't help but feel like it's not. Like I like Bombac, and I just feel like this isn't him like nailing it necessarily. You know. Okay. Yeah, I I think. And, but, I mean, it, I guess it depends on what you think about Ben Stiller as well. And I definitely don't dislike Ben Stiller, but maybe I don't buy into it as much. He's you know? sort of funny in this because he's got like the mop hair, and he kind of just looks interesting in this film. Maybe it's the way he's dressed because we're used to seeing him in. He's normally more of a um, introverted, like he's like a suit guy, hyperactive suit guy. Yeah, because yeah, he plays that in like reality bites as well or whatever. Okay. It's like him versus Ethan Hawke, which he directed as well. And Ethan Hawke's like and Ethan Hawke's the chill guy, you know, in the band and whatever. And it's funny, like in that movie, she ends up with Ethan. Spoilers: she ends up with Ethan Hawke. Winona Ryder ends up with Ethan Hawke, but Ethan Hawke is like, that basically Bridget Jones's diary? Well, maybe. <laughs> She ends up with Ethan Hawke and Ethan Hawke's just like a dick. And in that movie, you're like, wow, Ethan Hawke's a dick and she ended up with the dick. And in real life, you don't end up with the dick. Because yeah. Ben Stiller's this suit who like... It's funny. It's so very 90s, right? Because yeah. she's like an artist or like and films her friends. Like her gimmick is that she has a video camera and films her friends. Yeah. And then Ben Stiller, who's the suit, like submits it to like MTV or something like that to make like a show off it. And oh, yeah. she's like so mad at him that he's he, he sold her, her out. Right? You know what yeah. I mean? And then in 2020, you watch that. Or whatever like, I watched it last year, and you're like, "Wow, like what a great boyfriend!" Yeah. He made her, you know what he I mean? encouraged her to chase her dreams yeah. and her art, yeah, and to make money and like to make a living off her art. What a great guy! And then Ethan Hawke's just being a schmuck and like not paying rent and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ben Stiller's usually the guy in the suit, basically. Is that well the in Meyerowitz, he's that guy hmm. in Royal Tenenbaums. He's sort of that. He's hmm. like hyperactive. Well, let's talk about Ben Stiller's dramatic performances because I think it's a good. I think it's a good suite. Maya, Maya Witz with Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller is hilarious to me because they're two guys that are like super high potential guys that don't always land it. You know, in the right hands, they're just fantastic actors and characters. In Roger Ebert's review of this film, he says, I didn't know the character that Ben Stiller was made to play 
but it's this guy talking about Greenberg. Mm. What is the ideal Ben Stiller performance for you? And I suppose just to assist you with that, maybe. Yeah. Is he a lead leading man? Well, I, I look. I'll take Ben Stiller's comedies from the thousands. I think they're pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Oh, like they, they're good. For, you know, like Zoolander is funny. It's good. Um, and then we're talking about his dramatic ones, obviously that we've seen. And I feel like he's probably done plenty in the last decade or whatever. I've seen probably three quarters of Walter Mitty. <laughs> I've seen this. I've Where do seen you go? Meyerowitz. And then wh- what else is there? I feel like there's some more on the top of my head that I'm forgetting. Okay, right. So I've got Ben. Thanks for being patient, guys. I've got Ben Stiller's uh, letterbox up. So Tenenbaums is obviously the one I was looking for when I was just talking then. Um, well, me- he's, he's the, the straight man. Like, not the straight man. The straight guy in um, Tenenbaums. Like the non-fun, yeah. like tragedy. Yeah. Kind of character. Um, I guess Richie is. He's got Walter Mitty, with, like I said. While We're Young, which is the other Bombac one, which I haven't seen. Greenberg. Maybe that's about it. The rest of them are kind of comedies. They're just like... Ben's, oh, something about Super Mary. Great, yeah. Oh, oh, not, I'll not, be doing comedies. Oh, oh, yeah. Let's just do the Ben Stiller Hall of Fame. There's okay, something about Mary. Okay, Meet the Parents, something about Mary. Um, Along Came Polly. I wonder if that's famous because... Nick Smiling because it's... <laughs> a family classic. It's a family classic. Uh we got Zoolander, obviously. I said meet the That's parents. That's pretty great, though. Jen- Jennifer Aniston. Starsky and Hutch. Jennifer Aniston, Ben Stiller, and um, what's his name? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. No? Yeah, good cast. Huge. Um, meet the Fockers as well. Heartbreak Kid. Night at the Museum is obviously took up a big chunk of his. <laughs> Night at the Museum is probably underrated. But there's three of them. Yeah, I don't know. Like... I don't know where it occupies because it is what it is, but it's pretty good. Like you'll watch mm-hmm. and you'll be like, "That's pretty good." Anyway, so we've got a got a few in there. I think what's interesting is that Ben Stiller seems like the perfect bomb back ca- actor, mm-hmm. but it's almost like he doesn't necessarily but suit that Adam role. Sandler do it better, but he doesn't necessarily suit it because he's kind of annoying as that guy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that Ben Stiller is more like unlikable than. He act, you know, than we think he is. <laughs> Which well, he's teetering mean. on the edge. Yeah, but he's he's always playing someone who could kind of be annoying. I think. Yeah. Um. Even in you know something, Meet the Fockers or something like that. You know, yeah. he's kind of just like. Ugh. But then we're obviously drawn because it's him that as cringe well. humor as well yeah. that he does, yeah. which is sometimes unbearable. Like it's too much. Where yeah. you're just like, it's not funny. It's just make you know, beating up this dude. Is is he born to play this role? Is was the question we started with, yeah. and. I just, I don't know. I thought he was better in probably Tenenbaums. Like, I, I like him playing in that. He's, I mean, obviously it's a Wes Anderson film. So, he's writing more eccentric characters. But writing him more eccentric was funner in my opinion. Like, him having the kids, yeah. you know. That's funnier. And that's him still also playing a similar character. Yeah. And I guess Meyerowitz gave him more steam in his character or whatever. Or mm-hmm. more wind in his sails his character had. Which I, I think I enjoyed more. But to me, that movie's more about... Adam Sandler's performance is better in that. So, I don't know. Who's the other person? The, Dustin Hoffman. The female. The, the woman actor. <laughs> the sister. I'll look yes. her up because she's really good in that and I've forgotten her name. Yes. Elizabeth Marvel. Yes. Yeah. She's really good in that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Bombak's one of those guys who seems to be choose, playing the same, getting the same sort of people in his films. You know what I mean? Like Adam Driver pops up in Meyerowitz as well for two seconds. Who's he doing? He, he like do? plays one of Adam Sandler's, Adam Sandler's, uh, Ben Sill's clients. Yes. He's there for like two seconds. Yeah. Adam, he's in Francis Ha as well. Obviously. Okay. Adam with Driver. A, Adam and Driver ben, with a, what's it called? He's got one of those hats on. Yeah. Fedora. Fedora. He's awesome in that film. He's Ben. And like our he, brother? His or? name's, no, <laughs> his name's Ben and he's like a tall but in a lovable way. 
Like he's corny in a good way. Yeah. Well, okay. ca- I feel like Francis Ha captures that era of a thing that I wasn't there for, but it captures that vibe of young 20s in the 2010s very effectively. Like it's not... Well, can you imagine if you're a young tw- in your twenties in the twenty tens, then you're on the tail end of like indie music and going into rap music? It just man, wouldn't make sense to you. <laughs> you look at the fashion in twenty tens movies, and you're just like, oh my god! Like it has no style. It's not. It's so uh, like non memorable. You know what I mean? Like you look at them, and everyone's wearing like college looks, like knitted vest, or not knitted vest, but like V neck knits mm-hmm. and like cardigans and stuff. It's just the worst time to be. In your prime. <laughs> this is the 2010s we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the 2010s. Interesting. What do you think of this take? I don't know. I'm I'm more anti... My development is more anti-2000s out of anything. Like, that's my era. 2000s that is, like, cool now, though, because they've got people in, like, ironic, like, denim on denim and Britney, so. and that's, like, in. But maybe the whole thing is that the 2010s just haven't had their time. But, like, 2010s is, like, Fallout Boy and... Fallout Boy? <laughs> What's my Chemical with... Fallout Boy? No, but that's not... That's late 20... That's late 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. Well, what even happened in 2010 besides Will Smith? Party Rock Anthem? Yeah, that did happen. <laughs> Will Smith didn't even happen in no, What are you talking about Will Smith? I don't know. That's where Will Smith had all these, like, movies that should have been, like, great. <laughs> but they You're were... saying the 2010s, like, it wasn't 2010s, like, two years ago. Like, we didn't, we didn't live that shit. Okay. I guess I mean, there's a, it feels like there's a difference between late 2010s and early 2010s. Okay. There's, like, this turning point where it gets cool. Because I got older. <laughs> Obviously, that is explaining what this point is meant to be. So, for that reason, we move on. Yeah, okay, so you're into Ben Stiller in this, obviously. Yeah, I'm in. Okay. Um, let's move on to... I mean, there's some key players in this. And mm. you do know who Jennifer Jason Lee is, and I'll just bring this up because it's kind of funny, mm. is that Jennifer Jason Lee and um, Noah Bombach were married. <laughs> oh. So, his ex-wife and his like, current partner are in the same film. Yes. Which is a little humorous, and I won't give it any more than that. Mm-hmm. Moving on. What do you think of them as a couple? Pretty cool. Hey. Gerwig and Bombak. Yeah, they seem good. And Bombak looks like Wes Anderson. And well, I he's written that, with Wes Anderson. And, and I find that funny. They just like have that uh, skinny, auteur look. <laughs> That's <laughs> what no I'm better going way for. <laughs> skinny auteur. That's yeah. what I've got. Um, ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. <laughs> Explain that. Okay, so the movie we were supposed to watch was... We were going to do an... We watched Inherent Vice last week. Oh, yeah. And Tom didn't want to do that on it because he likes PTA too much to disrespect him on a podcast. But you brought up Owen Wilson, and I just want to say that I think Owen Wilson is really good in that. Owen Wilson's great. Owen Wilson is, like, riding into the sunset of aging well, isn't he? Like, the idea... I think everyone's just realizing that Owen Wilson's like a good dude. And I hope this doesn't age poorly because saying a sentence like this is the sort of thing that doesn't age poorly. He's a good dude, nice man. Like, you wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah, yeah you'd love if he dated your daughter. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, so he's really good. He's not in enough, like, some, you look at these people and maybe we have sentimental connections to them because we grew up, a lot, you know, watching mm. their comedies or whatever, but you just wish that they were getting like, good character roles like they could be getting. You know I just what I mean? think what's happening is the movie industry is rapidly changing before our eyes and it feels like these other moments were connected to now but they're not because of this whole... I think it's just Netflix and streaming services and arty movies on those services. is changing everything. So you're going, why isn't Owen Wilson... Because like, essentially you can put any of those 2000s guys that you kind of like in Uncut Gems. You want them to all have their Uncut Gems, don't you? Yeah. Like, you would want to see the Owen Wilson uncut gems. You'd want to see the Ben Stiller uncut gems. Even Vince Vaughn. Imagine Jack Black in, like, a good character drama. It's just all these guys that have, like, presence and, I don't know, maybe nostalgia at 
is the other thing, but there's just this great idea of these guys being older now. Yeah, and you can do more with them. Because I feel like, you know, this is kind of feeling that it's it is what you're saying. It's like they're not making they're not making these big comedies because that's not a financially viable thing to do anymore. So mm. we're kind of like can drop it that element of and be like, okay, we don't need to worry about that anymore. You don't have to make Zoolander three. Like, yeah, you can sell be in a good movie, and we can watch it on Netflix, and you can get paid a decent amount for it. And that's yeah, cool. and you'll get Oscar clout. Yeah. So that's where the the streaming thing is helping. Mm. You know, just yeah, this part well, is pro what? streaming as we've we're definitely pro streaming because we're talking Bombback, Mywitz and Marriage Story, both. Netflix films, you know what I mean? And he's the perfect Netflix film And the biggest Netflix guy. news of the week is Mindhunter might be coming back. Huge. Absolutely huge. Tom's favorite Finch thing. Yeah. Okay. I think that we need to get onto the other big gun, which is James Murphy and probably yes. the biggest of guns for us personally yes. in this film. How does he do? Because this, this has been 2021, end of 2020 to 2021 has been the year of the soundtrack for the... Good brother family. I just wanted to give a shout out to my favorite uh, a soundtrack that I okay. So the big soundtrack. I mean the the Oscars were on today, and Trent Reznor won for Soul, and Mm -hmm. Atticus Ross and Mm -hmm. John Batiste. Good Mm -hmm. for them. Minari didn't win. Very upsetting. Um, As owners of the Minari vinyl, uh, this is very upsetting. uh, I don't think it's the hottest of takes, and the share price was inflated when I got on board. But I hold a lot of stock in Minari, and you know, I didn't get on the, the ground floor. It had been floated and it had gone up already, but I was, I've been riding Minari to the moon. I've been holding with Diamond Fist. But there was a Best Supporting Actress win. That, and that's huge. For us in the Minari camp, that is very encouraging. That's yeah. hu- I'm really excited by that. Yeah. And I think, I think this Oscars is going to be an important Oscars. And I'm not saying that with a great understanding of the Oscars because I'm an idiot, but... <laughs> I think that this is going to be the year where Netflix was legitimized in the Oscars, right? Well, the thing is, every movie that was nominated, and maybe this is just me paying attention to film now that I do a film podcast, which is entirely possible yeah, as well, is that I was like semi-familiar deal. around discourse around all the films that came out in this thing, probably mm-hmm. except for the one that probably Ma Rainey's, which was nominated for a lot of stuff, which obviously they expected Chadwick Boseman to win, but he didn't. Because I don't think that was like, filmy sort of internet nerd loved or whatever mm-hmm. which is probably why i didn't hear as much anyway it's just like interesting to me now to every it just feels like there were 10 films that came out last week or last year that i'd heard about and they all got nominated for oscars mm. which is obviously because it was a, a smaller yeah. year yeah. but i think that the thing will be like there'll be 10 really good films every year from now on that are like not superhero films or whatever and then they'll you'll hear they'll, they'll be talked about a lot you know what i mean yeah it'll be about standing out from this like pool of netflix amazon films or whatever and there'll be a couple of good ones that we just hear about all the time but they're all you know make 20 million dollars or something like that you know yes i don't know i think i like the idea of oscars going to smaller things i feel like the oscars might shift i don't know if it will i really have no nothing to base this on i'd be happy if it shifted towards like giving people the stamp of legitimacy as like a rising star sort of thing. But like, it might have to add a necessity because like what are your options? You either embrace superhero films and you start give, nominating them. Which I don't think they want to do. Yeah. and Or you just shouldn't. start believing in smaller things and obviously, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, anyway, we're not really here to talk. We don't really care enough about the Oscars to fully make we it. We don't know enough about the We Oscars. didn't really do an episode, but I bring it up because of soundtracks <laughs> and Minari Lost, which we're upset about. But because that is so good. We have it on vinyl and it is the it's best. It's beautiful. 
And also, is that your pick for soundtrack of the year? <laughs> well, to be honest, the ones from last year that I've played the most are that David Burns American Utopia. Does that count? Um, and the other one that Emil Mosseri, uh, Mosseri, Mosseri did, which is Kajillionaire, which I haven't actually seen the film, but that soundtrack's really good as well. Great composer. Um, anyway, we're talking about this one because it's James fucking Murphy. Yeah, Murphy. Murphy. Um, and I just want to put it in your brain, like the James Murphy run around this period, because okay. we've got 2007, I think Santa Silver comes out. Definitely. They blow up. Indie darlings or whatever, All My Friends comes out. All My Friends in the soundtrack to this film, which we just watched. Was it actually? I don't think it was in the film. No, soundtrack. Uh, the, sorry, the trailer. Okay. The trailer. Mm-hmm. All My Friends was in the, the trailer mm-hmm. for this film. And then he makes the soundtrack. And this film comes out February 2010. And in May, 2000, May? May 2010, This Is Happening comes out. So you need to listen to these in the context of knowing that This Is Happening was being made probably around a similar time. Mm-hmm. And how does that make influence your thinking about... What about 4533? That's before Sound of Silver. Correct. And The Long Goodbye is 2011? The last show was 2011, I think. Hmm. That release, I think, was 2013 or something like that. Yeah. Um, what does that make me think? I don't know. So, you know it's a James Murphy song from the get-go because it's got that... How do you imitate that sound? Is that the drum machine sound? Yeah, the drum, like the wet droplet echoey. It's like water drop with reverb. Yeah. Um, and, and you're like, ah, oh, James. And he's got that thing, like that drum machine sound where you can hear like the noise of the room or whatever because he mm. mic'd it up or something like that. You know, yeah. It's like meant to sound raw. Or yeah. Whatever. Let's get into the James takes. I don't know. I was listening to it and I liked it more when we were listening to the songs by themselves than in the context of the film. They felt sort of, he did like those things good, but I couldn't help but feel like it kind of made him sound awkward, like a bit cheesy. Like his... His like choir things where everyone's like, oh, the James Murphy like faulty falsetto, <laughs> whatever you'd call it. Yeah, um, sounds kind of annoying in like a brightly graded film, which is like I think I think the problem how quirky. Yeah, I think that Bombac screwed him. You know, or maybe James Murphy did a bad job. Not a bad job, but what do you think Pitchfork gave this soundtrack? <laughs> oh, I'm guessing they roasted it. Just have a guess. Four point two. Five point three. Bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> no, maybe yes. <laughs> um, but I also when you when Pitchfork review anything that's not an artist's main thing, then they always roast that it. it's just a you know a company rule. They're like the reviewer in Birdman. That's like you think you get to come in here exactly. and piss all over the stage. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to have a side project, prefer to get a three. You know yeah. what I mean. Damn. So lame. The fact that you can't even look at something as like an interesting experiment from an artist that you respect. Yeah. It's like, no, we need to punish them for going off the track. Am I too sympathetic to things that I like by saying the idea of musicians making soundtracks is hugely exciting. This it is, shouldn't be condemned. This, and this is about, you know, filmmakers, anyone. Like the idea of someone making more art and being punished for making too much art is just dumb. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I. That's always going to be a shit take. Like you take... You, you get to, someone's body of work exists in context with all the other stuff and that's something that should be applauded and people should be applauded for taking chances, right? When you're making something, you are accidentally participating in the discourse surrounding your name and your legacy and stuff. But ultimately, you're participa- you should be evaluated in like, is this a good thing and are they helping out the art form by giving you a new idea or a new um, 
angle or something like that. Yeah, and I just think it's, I don't know, it, it becomes redundant for a publication like that to review soundtracks or anything like that because the best you're going to do is get a 7.6, which is in reality an 8.5, you know what I mean? Mm. Because you've got some sort of brand rules that you have to uphold, anyway, you know what I mean? Mm. So I'm, James Murphy doing this I think is great, good for him. Yeah. I think the issue with it honestly comes back to the grade a lot. I have a similar feeling. It just feels not right. It's too bright. It's too Justice League 2017. Like all the colors are popping, and I don't know if you if you moody this movie up a lot more. I don't know. I think this film has the tools to be a great film. That's what I'm saying. If you put on a, I don't know. I'm not like really trying to make fun of the cinematographer, but I just think that this film gets stuck in like a 2010 doesn't know what it is sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. I think if this movie's made now, it's an A24 film, and they've got like long takes that aren't cut in, and they've got like a moody grade, and they've got stylistic production oh, okay. design so you've got love cut essentially <laughs> we did we didn't do inherent vice but one thing that was yes could be taken from inherent vice is the long takes on conversations were you thinking that or not no okay so <laughs> in, in inherent vice i think did like long dialogue scenes really kind of well and the camera work like and it was this we also watched this um every frame of pic- painting video about spielberg one one is being like long takes um, and how they were more subtle than like, you know, other ones where they just like, look how long this take is. And I think that in dialogue, it should be a thing that happens more. And I think that this is the sort of film where that would be kind of cool. Yes. And it feels like they're not using all the kits, the tools in the kit. Mm. And maybe that's, and you know, I feel like it's weird. Like if you, you haven't seen Marriage Story, but if you look at Marriage Story as like Bombac's masterpiece, right? then it is hard to kind of feel like the films beforehand weren't like experiments on the way there. Yeah, yeah. And I just feel like this ex- this experiment to me feels like it doesn't really know what it is and doesn't do it nearly as well. On the other hand, Francis Ha, which I think you can also say is an experiment for both Bombach and Greg yeah. Gerwig, works super well as an experiment. Like it's not my favorite film ever, but I think it's super yeah, enjoyable it for nails, what it is. Yeah, like a genre and a feeling and stuff. Yeah, and I'm not like a a woman in my 20s but like all the, the friendship stuff is all what you're cancelled you can't relate to a woman in her 20s no i'm just about to say how i do relate to it i, I i'm trying to say that i can't relate know what it's like to be in a, a friendship with another woman being a woman yeah yeah but i'm saying that that stuff is all very powerful and i felt you know uh-huh. what i mean and is great stuff to see in film yeah what i want what i think the the punchline to this is is that i'm guessing the 25 million dollar budget will ruined or you know was restrictive in this filmmaking actually i think that smaller budgets are more empowering like there's this unspoken thing where the smaller your budget the more you have creative control right and it's the other thing that this era is letting us have is they're going let's throw a little bit of money at an orchard and see what happens a bit yeah for sure Um, and this is going i was just listening to an interview with steven soderbergh who through his last like three films has been doing oh what he's done three streaming films in a row whatever um, one of them. What are they on? Two on Netflix. One was on H. The last one was on HBO Max. Okay. Two of them have been with Meryl Streep. Which to me, the idea of Meryl Streep making like you know shoestring budget winging at films is super exciting. You know, even if I haven't seen them or don't care that much about Meryl Streep particularly, I just think that's cool. That's the idea, right? Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing. Like this film, you, I think maybe you are right in saying that this film isn't got a you know big name and got a bigger budget and then was bound to fail because of that or whatever and couldn't be what it really could be. I really just don't know where the budget was. Maybe it's like they paid still because they could and he was like being like, you can, so I you will. Because I don't... Um, ben Stiller doesn't really have an attitude that suggests he's not signed on unless he's getting a certain 
You never know. Paycheck. I don't know. Maybe he's difficult to work with. Um, so, soundtrack, do we, let's do that combo properly. Yes. I, I don't know. Like, it's okay. And I think that... I think there's some great moments in it. Listen, yeah, listening to the YouTube kind of thing then, it has all the nice LCD shit that we like. I just you know don't I mean? know if his sound is made for soundtracks. Or at least this sh- I, It's genre. It's funny because you can see him doing like a... Um, you know, Cliff Martinez, like, drive, you know, like, you can see him do, he could do the 80s stuff. Yeah. You know, no Because he no would have problem. all the, the right references. But I, it's funny, though, the same thing, like, I couldn't imagine him doing a movie, like, I could imagine James doing this movie because I could imagine James writing this movie. <laughs> do yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. I almost want a James Murphy soundtrack that's forty-five, thirty-three that doesn't really have words, you know? But it's, it's, soundtracks are a hard game, you know, because the ones, there's a, a lot of them do that kind of, like, you know, like eighth grade, for example, is one approach to a soundtrack, which is like an electronic sort of thing. And I think that you see that in other stuff and it's a bit like kind of doesn't work as well. You know what I mean? And even I've seen, I can't remember who composed that, but it's, uh, she did th- uh, that Paul Rudd f- show on Netflix where he mm. was with himself and that was also the same thing. And it just like didn't work. So it worked in eighth grade, but not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I guess another one is like Daniel Lopperton in like um, Uncut Gems and stuff like that works amazing in those films and that's such a quirky soundtrack like it's not what you expect the film you expect it to go dark and moody but it goes like airy and yeah so basically i'm acknowledging spacey. that soundtracks are a tough game you know what i mean and it doesn't always work what you're going for yeah i think this is kind of an example of that soundtracks get me so excited like just i didn't realize i like maybe soundtracks that the the more power like the 20 percent that you didn't realize a film needed to nail you know because yeah. obviously there will be blood just absolutely like I feel like there will be blood was the first film I realized that like nailed the soundtrack mm-hmm. like the scene where the the oil um what do you call it the mining machine the oil digger explodes and you get these freaking bombastic like yeah. drums and they're syncopate and stuff I remember watching that early in my like film analysis yeah. days being like this is fucking amazing yeah. what is happening here I feel really weird yeah and just like the moody like yeah. And so another thing I'll add to this, because we're talking about Johnny Greenwood, is that there's also this element where, because Johnny Greenwood mostly works with PTA, mm. but I've been listening to a soundtrack he did for a film called You Were Never Really Here, which is not a film that I've seen, but it's a really good soundtrack and is funny. It comes, be- it comes between Inherent Vice and um, Phantom Thread, right? And it's obviously still him, but it's quite different. And it's really exciting to me because it's different from the PTA soundtrack stuff he did. You know what I mean? Which is obviously cool in a way because it's showing somebody who's like not just bringing their thing to everything. It's obviously quite similar, but it's like different enough, I think, between the two. Yeah. And what, what's the angle? Because like all of his PTA stuff is like strings. Yeah. It's more like playing with guitars and electronic stuff as well. You know what I mean? Which is something he's obviously capable of doing. Yeah. And I don't really have a point, but I just feel like talking about soundtracks. So that's really good. And then soundtracks is just, we're doing the soundtrack chat. Um, soundtracks, are, what's interesting to sound, about soundtracks to me is that I remember there's this nerd writer video on Kendrick Lamar's music videos. And he says that I don't really like music videos. I feel they limit the scope of the project. And you and I are like, we 100% disagree. We love yeah. music videos. Music videos are just as much a part of the album store. Like, I think it's because we're, we're album consumers. And I think album consuming, maybe it's because it relates to movies, but like albums are all about telling a story, whether like literally or not. It's about creating a mood and it's about, they're like movies, albums, you know, they progress and they have to like give you all the different beats and stuff like that. 
And we love the kind of myth-making that comes into albums because it's like, yeah. oh, they were like this at this time in their life. And it's, it's good to do things, if you put things in statements, like if you view it as a statement in time, mm. then you can relate it to different statements in time and it, this whole world comes out of it. But if you're only viewing things, you know, through what other lens, it's, it's different, you know? Yeah. Like you don't hear an LCD song from the first album and an LCD song from the third album without knowing that there's a difference there, but there are also lines between them and stuff yeah. like that versus, you know, someone else will listen to it and just be like, this is an LCD song, this is an LCD song. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, anyway, so we, like, visuals are the, the, like, the X factor in music storytelling as well, right? Like, if you can nail your album artwork and nail your music videos and have a feeling that's consistent, you've done, like, it's just making your message stronger. It's your mission statement. It's your... Um, proof of concept, whatever you want to call it, sort of thing. So I think music, uh, soundtracks get us so excited because they're putting visuals and a mood to a thing. Yeah. But then they're reverse engineering it, so they're not. It's fascinating because it's not like the music, the visuals can let down the music. the The music can bolster the visuals. It's like yeah. all of the excitement of making, you know, the the film that comes to mind. That's like the quintessential soundtrack versus movie thing for me. Is assassination of the coward of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford mm-hmm. because the soundtrack's by um, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, and I think it's like a great soundtrack. There's some fantastic, like very there'll be blood, um, like Johnny Greenwood sort of vibes, and just the moody kind of like it's kind of like Johnny Greenwood meets Trent Reznor in some ways, like just because it's like this. They're all in the same. Venn diagram ballpark anyway mm-hmm. um, but there's moody stuff but then the film itself kind of isn't as good as the soundtrack is in my opinion but then there are these songs and these scenes and watching it I'd listen to the soundtrack before I'd seen the film and like I watched the the soundtrack songs hit and they hit it like the early part of the film so they're really good and it's like oh this film's created this film's created such a mood you know mm-hmm. I, I guess again I don't have a conclusion there but it's just like it's fun to talk it's, about it's a music video for well, it's, yeah, you're scoring a music video, which is really cool. Yeah, and what this film ended up doing was kind of not making a statement enough. The music music just yes. kind of floats around. Because I think he jumps genres as, a bit too much. And it feels as nondescript as kind of like the film in St. Ellen's, at least in my opinion. You know the other I mean? music moment that's great in this film, though, it's is... The end, and I want to talk about this scene because it's probably yes. the best scene in the film. Him it's the party putting on, scene. Yes, the party scene. Him putting on Duran Duran. Did you know it was them before he said it? Like, I looked at the album, the album cover. cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, Duran Duran, and Mum's like, oh, how did you know that? And I was like, ah. Anyway, that's a brag. But um, I loved that. That was such a great choice to put on a... That, and even as a scene, that's so hilarious to put on a song. Like, that's another one of the, the messages of the film in a thing that didn't... Like, that's... That he's out of touch, you know what I mean? Like, I just found okay. that such a powerful way of doing Explain that. Explain this writing choice to me. The girl from Mother Room is going, put on ACDC, we want to hear ACDC. I don't understand that at all. Maybe that's some sort of, like irony thing where it's the error before him or something like that yeah maybe it is a joke like, like a meta joke she wants uh she wants music that's being so they're having this out canonized. of touch thing and then he's listening to something that people probably didn't like because it was post acdc yes so it's between the two eras and it's kind of ironic that he can't fit in the perfect like he's still in that uncool era he hasn't been canonized yet yeah, and Drain Drain hasn't been canonized okay yet. but having said that it's not explicit. I'm just kind of projecting that onto that, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, but I think that's the sort of... You could put that CD on nowadays and people would be definitely more into it than in 2010 or whatever. Yes, yeah. 
But we were also more bandy back in the day. Now we're more synthies and 80s throwback or whatever. So. Uh, just a quick bit because we will talk about the scene. What's his band? Is his band The Strokes? Because that's what came to mind for me. They're like a three-piece band from the image, images. Yeah. But if it's in the 80s, then it was 15 uh. years ago from 2010, so which makes it 95 actually, right? Yes. So they must be a grunge band? <laughs> Underground. Scar band? Like uh, light wave pop or whatever it's called. <laughs> What's it called where you play like synth? Like Duran Duran, but like... New Romantic, that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's post that though. Maybe it's Beach House. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just a funny... Imagine Ben Stiller in like moody light. I don't know what it is. It doesn't seem like the right era for their band to exist. If it's a three-piece, it's got to be grunge, right? Yes, I suppose so. Yeah. He's, and- is he listening to his band actually? Is that what that scene is? You know, when he's on his computer listening to music. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And that's like rock music, isn't it? Yeah. Heavy. I thought it sounded pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, I didn't. Had that nice. But Ben Stiller was. I remember seeing recently some article about Ben Stiller's old band being re resurfacing or whatever. Yeah. You know, must be cool when you're famous enough that you can like go to your side hustle and get criticized by Pitchfork. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the end scene, the party scene, is the best scene in the movie, probably in my opinion. Um, it's I'd, I'd probably f- give it to the argument, which is kind of part of the same scene. Yeah. Um, it's just funny, like him sitting segment. around and doing coke and all that sort of stuff. And the way that the, the kids react to him, I think is, I kind of bought it. I think that's actually realistic because, you, you know, this is the thing, you know, I see him with Greta and I'm like, I don't know if I buy into that. Right. Mm. But I see a bunch of kids laughing at how like ridiculous this person is, you know what I mean? And who's insulting them. Like I see that as that would be funny. And yeah. I can imagine people actually doing that, yes. you know? So I do buy into that. And I think. What he says to them is like, I love how like mean it is, you know, and how trying to be mean it is and how like also coming from a scared place it is. Yeah. I think that's all really brilliant. And that, yeah. like, so that's definitely a part that I thought was good and really well written. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very intense scene. Like they, the Bomback really takes the air out of the room because he is so intensely like having to go at them and being insecure. Um, I guess there's like the baby Mozart stuff. And what else is he saying? He's just like, well, and his whole speech about Coke is pretty funny. Like him being like, do you want some Coke? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll have some Coke. And then he has some Coke and he's like, oh, you need good Coke music. And just like this idea that, I don't know, I just think the film like really tapped into this thing where he's going like, he had it right, but then him having it right is more about familiarity than about him actually having it right. And that's his whole like life dilemma sort of thing. Well, this is the thing is that when you're viewing it as a mental health movie, maybe you have more sympathy for someone who's like more stuck in their ways than that. Mm. But if you're not as re- reliant on that as much, mm. he just becomes, re- it just shows how unlikable he is and he's a person like that you've kind of just avowed in 2020. You know what I mean? You're just like, it's not worth, like yeah. what's the point of trying to humor someone who's that age? And, like who's still relatively young or whatever yeah. in the scheme you of should life be able to- and should be able to listen and not be obnoxious. Yeah, he could still turn his life around. Yeah. So- it's not just a pity story. Yeah, um, I do like the part where there's that like ferret thing in the in the pool, and they yeah, like, and those just, cuts, quick cuts, and, and then they just jump scare. Make sense, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I, I like that that whole sort of thing. Like they're all staring at something but can't work it out. I'm sure that feeds into some emotional point they're trying to make as well. Um, the party's quite maybe anxiety maybe it's inducing. Like, maybe it's like him looking at himself and not knowing what it is properly or something. Yeah, and everyone's looking at him. But yeah, and, I can I agree when you say that everyone would be memeing the old guy who's like talking his head off and won't. Like, that's when you get just, like, a weird bouncer and you're like, what are you doing, weird bouncer? Why are you, like, projecting yourself and trying to get involved here? 
Yeah. But the thing is, in, nowadays, that thing happens and someone films it and puts it on. And like this, me even saying that makes it sound like I'm 100 years old, mm. that someone would film it and put a video out and then there'd be this whole thing where it's like, this person's terrible and then you like feel bad because that person's been put on the internet now. Yeah. And this whole sort of thing. Just simpler that that moment could exist in that room. <laughs> which, yeah, which brings me to another key point, the Motorola Razor flip phone. Pretty cool. Yeah, nice throwback. Um, it, this film's different with iPhones, right? What happens? Yeah. Right? Greta's a lot more introverted and on her phone more directly. It's probably a more political film. Like, they're probably talking about social issues a bit more. And maybe Ben Stiller's getting called out for being a dick to her within the film. And then maybe that gives you a moment to be more sympathetic to him because he has this moment where he's like, I don't mean to be a dick, but Hmm. I'm a dick. Yeah, well, he doesn't really get any... Like, there's that argument... The thing is, the film ends strangely where, like, the climax scene is that scene we've been talking about where he has the argument with his friend and he's like, my life didn't turn out the way I wanted, blah, 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 or whatever. Um, And he he walks away from that a dick and, like, he ends... Like, the film is a love story in the end and I just feel... I don't like the love story part of it and I just don't like that's how it settled, you know? I just... It's just weird trying to feel good about, at the end of the film, them that being their resolution where you don't think they're good together and, like, you know... It's a lose-lose, in my opinion, you know. Yeah, interesting way to cut it off, of course. Um, But I guess the point would be that, like, so you end a film because you think, you tell a film because you think it's the most interesting part of their journey. Yeah. And you end a film to kind of promote that. So I think the ending is probably insightful to what Bombak's trying to do. Which would be but like... I, yeah, I think Bombak's not trying to teach Ben Stiller anything, basically. That's, yeah, I think that's the thing. Maybe it is more about Florence. But Florence ends up with him. Not really. There's no legs to it. He's going back in a week. I guess so. It's I just a moment that kind of like messed around a few people. Poor dog in the film. <laughs> what about his brother? Did you like his brother just like abusing him all the time? Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to that in 20 years. <laughs> cool. <laughs> when you don't sign the film deal. Yeah. I didn't realize. I didn't realize I had that power. I thought we were putting out 10 cents in. Yeah. 10 cents. Um, I, yeah. So the good let's scene and, you know, a preview of 21 Drum Street with Dave Franco and Brie Larson. <laughs> yeah. Brie Larson's performance in there. I mean, she doesn't do tons. I really like Brie Larson. I like her as well. I'm, z- I'm zagging. Um, you can't zag when the, z- shit take. the, the zigging, exactly. The zigging is just like misogyny. It's yeah. like you can't zag away from misogyny. And <laughs> well, I can. <laughs> I can, but it's not commendable. Yeah. You don't get it. It's a not brag worthy. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Marvel, good film. Two and a half stars. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have much else to say about it? No, this? I think that's the timer. This has been a weird one. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, I'm keen to hear your wrap up on it. I have Do you more... want to interrogate my negative comments anymore or not? How about we go, let's flip the script then. You ask me what yeah. worked. Okay, ask me. Okay, so Nick, what'd you like about this film? Um, I liked that someone asked James Murphy to do a soundtrack. And I liked that James Murphy picked it up an acoustic guitar for it. Never thought I'd hear that in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Greta in this. I think I like the opening scene with Greta. I, I think that there's lots of, plenty of, you know, good moments of dialogue and real moments of dialogue. Probably the other scene that I think is quite good is the one where he's in the cafe with his ex-girlfriend and that conversation. Really awkward feeling and kind of realistic mm. feeling at the same time. So like He's that's obsessed the that with works. the memory and she's either blocked it out or is trying to power play him. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's a bit tough. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it's good because it's tough. I think that's a good scene. Yeah. I think his friend's good. I like the way he... I think... Yeah, maybe we didn't do enough on Reese Ifans. It's an if. Reese Ifans. On Reese Ifans. Ifans. He he's great in this film, and I don't really know him that well. And he well, we had discussion. He's in Notting Hill. Yeah, and you know what works about him? He's bald in spot on top of his head. It matches the character like so powerfully. <laughs> don't you reckon? I didn't Just a small pay thing that I much noticed. attention to anyway, it. But sorry, Reese, if you were self conscious about it. But, but he's yeah, he's really good in this. Um, I think all the performances are really good. To yeah. Me. Your issues are with the film rather than the, the performances. I mean, yeah. I'm like, I have nothing against Ben's... I think Ben's is good, but I also think that he's written so extreme. I mean, do you just ask me the next part and I'll do that properly. One more question. His um, sit, animated sitcom-esque outfit, <laughs> what did you think? He wears it the whole film. I kind of liked that. Yeah. I think it's cool. And it was a pretty good look as well. What about the other dude... Um, the dude from The League and... Yeah, yeah. I thought those characters were funny. Like, just being absolute dicks. I, th- I enjoyed them. But it's funny because they're being... he was in the band too. They were being dicks because, like, they have to be a dick. You know, like, he's being a dick and they're trying to, like, be dicks at least in a way where they're not, like, all... Explicit? Yeah, it's out. this thing where it's like, yeah, like, there's resentment there and, you know, they're trying to be cordial about it and they're not particularly happy that he's there, actually. That seems pretty good too when he gets ripped into by that guy like because he actually does let him have it he's like at the dinner yeah, yeah. that's good as well and I'm you know what that. else ties the, the bit the scene up well when Ben Stiller in the argument is going and people think this about you everyone wants you to feel sorry about them but then that's like his mission statement about himself or whatever you know like yeah. I don't know yeah good sorry is there going. a question there? no <laughs> what I think he's me looked, yeah. still in the question the limelight what would you change? okay I think that I think that you make take change Greta like I mean or at least put her in put her in Francis Ha instead you know um, I I think oh, another thing I liked about this film is that it brought us the you know bomb back in Greta Gerwig thing and mm. I think that that was probably important for the next 10 years of film a question here do you like this film more or less if Greta Gerwig is played by Emma Stone less I mean I like Emma Stone a lot I think she's great but you know, I'm happy for this like 10 years of Greta Gerwig films where she kind of does this thing. It's enjoyable. And then now knowing that she's going to be directing stuff, it's cool, I think. What I would change is, I think that, I would, yeah, I think the main thing that I had was the the romance because it's it's difficult to sympathize or even me for me to fully get into the character when Ben Stiller was being really toxic towards her character because you open the film and you make me sympathize with Greta, right? And... Throughout the whole film, Greta does nothing wrong. She's not a bad... Like, I don't think that she... I might be an idiot. She may say some things that probably you don't say or whatever, but it's. I don't think that she actually does anything that is particularly bad or horrible. I think she's actually acting pretty genuinely the whole film. Is the film ever giving her a moment where it's trying to criticise her? Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. So, I think that it's just difficult. Like, So, I was saying the opening scene was probably there to make you understand why she would go for a guy like Ben Stiller or whatever. But in the same time, it undermines the film and that it makes me like Greta Gerwig and her character. And then I just feel like there's this guy being a dick to her, like toxic to her the whole film and yelling at her when he doesn't even know her. And it's just hard not to feel weird about that, in my opinion, you know? And I'm not trying to be too overthinking the plot sort of thing, but it's like, 
Yeah, he can be an asshole and be alone, but I don't think that you can just give him a character to make him more comfortable with his shittiness, you know what I mean? Mm. So, that's my main issue with the film, to be honest. And I think if that wasn't in there, and, you know, she could just be a friend or something. Like, it could be a platonic thing, and maybe I'm stupid thinking there could ever be a platonic film and thing in a film, you know what I mean, with a $25 million budget. But I just wish that that would be better. And it's like, you know... The, things become different when they you throw you know romance and sex and whatever into it, um, and I think that the relationship probably could have worked. You know they could have bonded over the dog and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, I don't know. That's my main the main critique. I, I think that you know, and the thing with the grade that we were talking about before is interesting because I think that's an LA thing. I think you go, I'm making an LA movie, so it needs to be sunny and bright all the time and washed out because that's what LA is meant to be like. Mm. But I don't really like watching movies that look like that, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know... Can you take some scalps? I mean, the most obvious one, which is obviously extremely deliberate end of the spectrum, is like Bling Ring by oh, Sofia yeah. Coppola, yeah. which is meant to be washed out and superficial and that sort of stuff, but it's actually just unenjoyable to look at, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just not... Cra- like, I, LA films, definitely not against them, but... Under the Silver Lake? That's pretty bright. Yeah, for sure. But it also has night scenes. Yeah, but it, you're right, it's bright. And I just think, I don't know, washed out bright things maybe aren't... I don't... I don't know. Yeah, it's, like, overly saturated. They've, like, turned up the hue too much. Like, the lips are too pink and the greens are too green. I think I'll just take someone doing a New York-obsessed film than an LA-obsessed film, in my opinion. I like just that. That's a more enjoyable. Fun and, you know, James Murphy's... What's he doing making a film about California? You know what I mean? This, he should be making... You know should, what I mean? He should what have done the Francis, the Francis Ha soundtrack in New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> Francis Ha in Paris. I don't know if I have anything else to complain about. Um, I think that's it, yeah. So, Nick, what would you rate this film? Oh, it's difficult. It's, I mean, it's not that difficult. It's not overly positive. I, I think I'd probably give it a two. I disgusted eyebrows from Nick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it didn't live up to some of its parts, in my opinion. Uh-huh. You know, I like the cast. I like the musician making the music. I like mm. the director. Mm. I like the potential. And I just think that it's too dry for me, you know? Yeah. There's nothing for me to, like, latch my heart onto and maybe I'm just... Uh-huh. And I like things that are dry, but I feel like you need to be dry and stylized, not just dry, Yeah, you know? Uh-huh. And having said that, maybe we should all go watch The Dry, Eric Banner's <laughs> new film. <laughs> hmm. It saved cinema in Australia. It did. Huge. Go Robert Connolly. Friends I... with him on Facebook, the director. You are? Yeah. Explain that. We watched him in high school... Uh, his films, The Bank and Balibo. And I think Thompson added him on Facebook and he added him back. So then I added him on Facebook and he accepted. You should send him messages. I should ask him to be on the pod. Yeah, we'd love to have you. All right. Do you want to do the whole thing or do you want to just jump in like I do? Because I'm there to Yeah, I'll in. do what you do. Um, conversely, I think there's a lot to like about this film. Not really. I don't think this film, there's a lot to like. I just think it's got a lot of potential and it has a lot of tools and it almost gets there in a lot of ways. It's almost a great movie. I think that it's a, like it's worth watching is probably my point. And I think if you take to it with the maybe the kicker here is just like having this perspective of mental health sympathy, it becomes a lot better because I guess I had that perspective the whole time and was admiring that. Like there's just a lot of things in here that I would, wouldn't mind to have written myself, but I wouldn't play them in the way that they play them, if that makes sense. Um, like the whole speech, the whole thing that he can't accept that he shut down the band is really good idea to me. And um, just like the discussions they have, 
Yeah, I think this film was too far ahead of its time. I think if it's made now, it's a lot better of a film. It's more stylized, more auteur, more moody, and the character drama's fleshed out a bunch more. Yeah, I, I think it's a cool premise and cool stuff. Um, having hyped this up so much, I was thinking about that. Well, maybe I can only say this because it's a film that's, you know, not amazing and stuff, but I want to bring back harsh letterbox man Tom because I think I've, I've been getting a bit soft. So, yeah, I'm stuck between two ratings. But ultimately, I think I will give this film a favourable... Hurry up. I think I'll give this film a favourable 2.5. Okay. See, we ended, up, we ended up one half star away from each other anyway. I find the 2.5 is possibly the most important rating in your five-star rating. And it should be. I'm a firm believer of this because I'm, I think three. I think more movies are threes and more movies are two and a halves. Yeah, I think my we should wind it back. I'm saying everyone who says three should wind their three back to a two and a half. That should be like the adjusted scale. The I almost gave this a two and a half. But the adjusted plus minus. It was more NBA of a two because two and a half is fifty percent. You ultimately two and a half isn't what you want to like hang your hat on, but it's not like you completely failed. It's just you didn't put it all together. Um. You had half a good movie. You didn't completely execute. Like, it'd just be dishonest of me to give this a three because it's not like... Like, there's a lot of probably better movies, but I think this movie is worth watching and I liked a lot about it even though I didn't like the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great pod, great <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure you guys all enjoyed this. I'm sure no one's going to Thanks for listening to this, all 10 of you. Um, Greenberg Deep Cuts. If you want to understand what happened... Because this thing doesn't even have... A, hasn't left a trace on the YouTube world. It's that awkward bit where it's not the 90s, so they were putting effort into DVD extra scenes, and it's not the 2010s where there are video essays on them. So it's in the dead zone. But we are doing all we can to make the legacy of Greenberg live on. So, uh, Letterboxd, follow me at Lil Silky, L-A-L-S-I-L-K-Y. Follow me at I'm Good Brother. Follow us on I'm Good Brother. I'm follow us on Instagram and Letterbox and YouTube, Ego Our Podcast. Yes, and if you'll excuse me, I will be making this soundtrack a thing. I'm going to buy it. I've decided. All right, there you go. This has been another classic. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in. Tell us who's done another end.